Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Bright and cheery at 11.30 a.m. on a Sunday. Thank you, Karen, and our worship team. Okay. So last week, we talked about the weapons of our warfare and the epic battle going on between good and evil. And today, I want to kind of continue that conversation, but I want to talk about the divine armor that God has entrusted us with. So we're entrusted with divine armor. So foundationally to this topic today, I think in Christendom as a whole, we're seeing a situation where there's too many Christians that are playing defense, not offense. They're just trying to hang on and endure until Christ comes back. And uh, they're standing most of the time, but, but they're just holding on and they're like, okay, thank you, Jesus, you're coming quickly. But we're supposed to move forward. We're supposed to advance. We're supposed to take ground. We're not supposed to go back. Actually, we're supposed to overthrow our enemy. Amen. You're all soldiers. You know that you are enlisted in the battle of good and evil, whether you want to be or not. So all of us are soldiers. You're fighting on one side or the other. You're either fighting for God or you're fighting against him. There's no middle ground there. Uh, you, you can choose not to fight for him, and then automatically, by default, you're fighting against him. So I would suggest, though, if you're going to go into battle, you need to make sure you have the right equipment. If you're going to go to war, you need to be prepared. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 4, Amplified. Uh, the weapons of our warfare are not physical. They're not weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So the first thing that we see here is that we have weapons and that we're in warfare and that they're not flesh weapons like knives and guns and, and, and clubs, right? Now, how many of you have wrestled with a spirit? Do you fight a spirit like this? Certainly not. Not that punch. That punch won't hurt anybody. Spirits are not made of flesh. How are you going to fight a spiritual war with earthly weapons? You're not. You'll lose. And so the first thing is there's weapons. There's divine weapons that God has given us. The second thing is you're really in war. There's a war going on all around you, whether you acknowledge it or not. And the third thing is we have to understand the difference between fleshly weapons and spiritual weapons. Now, when we're talking about this, you, you don't fight a spiritual war with fleshly weapons just like you don't fight an earthly war with spiritual ones, or do you? That's another conversation. Each piece of armor, and this is my point for today, each piece of armor that God has given us is both for offense and defense. Can everyone say offense? That means you attack, and defense, you defend. And, and what happens is a lot of the teaching in the body of Christ around the armor is defensive, 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 and there's no offense. But I don't think that that was Paul's intent when he was talking about this, nor do I think it's God's intent. We fight this war by obeying God and his commands. 
and we get his divine strategies that will allow us to overcome our enemy. When you fight in the flesh, you're going to lose in the flesh. So a lot of the Greek uh, language that I'm going to draw from today comes from Rick Renner, who's a Greek guru. He wrote a book called Sparkling Gems, among others. Um, I haven't read it in 20 years, but I think he wrote a book called Dress to Kill that talks about this in greater detail. But armor from the Greek panoplia, the full attire and weaponry, specifically in this case of the Roman soldier, it was used to, to define the panoplia was the whole package that the Roman soldiers would wear. And it came from two words, pan, which means all, and hoplos, which means armor, and then it came together into this panoplia. Uh, but in Ephesians 6.10, and, and Aaron and Kelly read it for us a minute ago in the Amplified. It says, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Who are we supposed to be strong in? Lord. Draw your strength from him and be empowered through your union with him and in the power of his boundless might. I love that. This comes from the Greek word in dunamio. In explosive strength, ability, and power. And, and it's... it's in, 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 you know, in the dunamo, explosive power. God has invested his explosive strength, power, and ability inside of you. And you got to get this. So when Paul is saying in Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord, he's, he could also render that, be infused with supernatural strength and ability. Be empowered with a special touch of God's strength or receive the inner strengthening. There's something that happens there. You don't need to be infused with strength and ability for defense to just hold up your shield and stand there. It's to go forward. It's to press on. So let's break down the armor a little bit. The first one is the belt of truth. How many know truth is actually a weapon? The belt holds the sword, the lance, the arrow pouch, right? It holds the breastplate in place so it doesn't bounce all over the place. The truth, God's word, his Bible that he's given us, when it's activated in your life and you're rooted in righteousness of God, okay, he will give you peace. He will shield you and protect your mind from lies. If you get off of the truth from God's word, you're going to find that everything else becomes less effective. So all of your armor is activated in truth, there's faith. You're going to see how there's this interaction between faith and truth and righteousness and peace, and they all kind of flow together. But without truth from God's word as your starting point, all of the other armor becomes less effective. And we see this. We see this in the world we live in because how many know humanism is man's idea? It counters deism where we believe in God and we listen to what God has to say. So I want to break this down for a second. Who's the moral lawgiver? Okay, we're in church. Some of you have been here for more than five minutes. We should know this. Who is the moral lawgiver? God. Why? Because he created everything, so he gets to set the rules. We doing Okay. So if God is the moral lawgiver, then he's the one that determines what is right and what is wrong. You tracking with me? When people don't believe in God, who becomes the moral lawgiver? Not me, but humans. Do you 
think that humans have the capacity to determine right and wrong in and of themselves? Doesn't the Bible say that the heart is deceitfully wicked? <laughs> if you're the one that gets to determine what's right and wrong, how many know you're, you're right and wrong is going to be bent with an advantage towards you? Oh, come on, don't be so pious. You would absolutely arrange things to your, to your advantage if you got to determine that. Okay. Why are people trying to suppress truth? John 14, 6. Let's go to the scriptures. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. That statement is under fire today. People go everywhere for the truth except God's word. Why do people go to Google and Wikipedia before they go to the Bible for truth? The truth is I'm older than Google. The Bible's older than Google too. I know some of you are like, what? <laughs> Humans create their own version of truth. H have we read Romans 1 recently, 18 to 32? I'm not going to read it for you. But essentially, when you choose a lie over truth, your conscience starts to become seared. And if you tell a lie enough, you actually believe that it becomes truth. It becomes your reality. That's one of the greatest forms of deception when you believe a lie is truth. The Bible actually uses another word. It calls it reprobate, where people don't know the difference between right and wrong. And, and we're living in a culture where people don't know the difference between right and wrong because they've been deceived into believing that lies are truth. How are we doing? People deny the truth and call evil good and good evil. People deny the truth and they believe lies to be reality. Once you believe a lie, there's a greater chance that you're going to believe another lie. Once you fall for something and get deceived it's easier for you to be deceived again. Come on now. I'm going to say this. Christian fellowship, the gathering of the saints together, has never been nor will ever be evil because God said that it's good. Christian values of righteousness, hope, and love will always be truth because the Bible says that they're always going to be truth. Marriage under God will remain between one man and one woman to the exclusion of all others, period. God created humans in his image. He made them male and he made them female. He established marriage. We as humans don't have the right to redefine it. We didn't create it we don't get to change the rules that govern it. <laughs> but when you live in a culture that denies God, they make their own rules of what's right and what's wrong. Let's move on. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate protects the heart and the vital organs. And as Christians, we have to understand that we are the righteousness of God. Our righteousness comes from God. Matthew 6, 33 in the Amplified says, but first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness. I find that interesting. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Not seek his kingdom and his power, 
It's his righteousness. His way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God, and I think that's the key. You've got to understand. You want to be righteous, you have to have Christ's attitude to accomplish that. And all these things will be given to you, your food, your clothing, your shelter. So, so there's this idea that we're to pursue righteousness. And, and the truth is, you're not righteous in and of yourself. Let me read some more scripture here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, New American Standard. He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And see, because of Christ on the cross, we get to be, exchange our unrighteousness for his righteousness. There's, there's something that took place there. So I'm not righteous in and of myself. I'm only righteous because Jesus made me righteous. And by faith, I accepted his sacrifice, and then I exchanged my unrighteousness for his righteousness. You doing okay? That's how we become righteous. We get our righteousness from God, who is righteous. And when we look at the breastplate as a weapon, you have to understand there was numerous pieces of metal, and, and when they would walk, they would rub on each other, but this would actually complete the finish on the armor, and it would make it even shinier. It would reflect the sun. And it was so bright sometimes when the sun reflected that it would actually blind the enemy. You know when, you, when you're driving west in the evening? And the sun is just sitting right there in your face. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And it has that blinding effect. And, you know, you're putting your sunglasses on and you're putting your visor down. You're trying to sit up if you're short. (laughs) But the breastplate, not only did it protect, it actually worked as an offensive weapon because it would reflect. And, And... as Christians, we're supposed to reflect the glory and the righteousness of the Father. I was sharing with First Service. I was going to maybe use a different illustration, but people like this illustration, so I'll use it again. When you are submitted to God fully and you're resisting the devil, he has to flee. But when we start operating in the nature and the character of Christ, we start taking on his attributes. What happens is we start looking like Jesus. And then our enemy gets confused because he sees us in the armor and he doesn't know that we're not Jesus because we're acting like him, we're talking like him, we're walking like him, we're under his authority. I'm going to go way back, like high school back. (laughs) That's a long time ago. And I remember I had transferred schools and I was going out, actually Bell River, right? But I remember I'm walking down the hall, and for weeks, whenever this one kid went by, he would growl at me. But he had no consciousness that he was growling at me, and his friends were kind of looking at him and giving him a hard time. Why are you growling at him? But it was a spirit in him. So I'm sitting in English class one day, third period, I remember. And over the intercom, I hear the secretary, will R.J. Shimatero please report to the shop? R.J. Shimatero, please report to the shop immediately. And I looked at my teacher, and I'm like, um, where's the shop? I don't have shop class. I'm new at the school. I don't know this school yet. I haven't been down to that wing. And he goes, well, if the office is calling you, you better go. So I, I had a guy take me down to where the shop is, right? So... 
I remember walking into the room and there was desks everywhere and all the students were over on one side and there was one kid standing on the other side. And for whatever reason, the spirit in him manifested and he started tossing guys across the room and desks across the room and everybody freaked out. And then one of the people that I knew, who knew I was a Christian, said, this looks like a spirit. So he told the office to call me down the hall so I could take care of the spirit. This is what you got to understand. When you know your authority in Christ, it's easy dealing with the spirit. Right? We have a harder time dealing with the flesh than we do spirits when you know your authority, when you know your righteousness, when you're wearing your armor, when you're acting like Christ. When you've got sin in your life, you have a harder time being confident to deal with spirits. Right? That's why it's important that we daily confess our sin to God, sometimes twice a day or 20 times a day, depending on how bad a day you're having. Philippians 3.9, become one with him who Christ. And then I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. It's not about the external rules and regulations. While we do obey the Ten Commandments, that's not what makes us righteous. I became righteous through faith in Christ. It's his righteousness on the cross that I absorb, that I can get. It's imputed to me is the theological word we use. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So by faith, we become righteous. By faith, you became righteous. When you surrendered your life to Christ, when you had confessed your sin, when you repented, you absorbed or imputed righteousness to you. You become righteous. You're not righteous of yourself. You know this, right? I'm not righteous. I don't have any righteousness in me except that Christ put his righteousness in me. So if you see me acting righteous, it's because I know Christ. Outside of Christ, we don't always act so righteous, do we? Oh, come on, don't act so, don't act so holy. I know you're at church, but. Okay. The shoes of peace. Rick Renner actually calls them killer shoes. It's hilarious. Do you know that we were given authority and dominion over the power of the enemy and his works? Christ gave you as a Christian authority and power over Satan and his works. Now, the Roman shoes had, um, they actually included like a greave or um, it's a steel brace that protected the shin and the calf so that people couldn't break their legs. Or if they were walking through terrain, a thorn bush couldn't gash their leg because they had these steel protection over their shins and over their calves. And, and when they would walk, nothing would stand in their way. Now, we'll get to the shield in a minute. But the Roman shoes had spikes, hobnails sticking out of the bottom that helped them to hold their ground when the press came. So when the enemy's pushing against you and you have the right spikes and you're standing, you're not going to move. You ever watch sports? I find it amusing because... In games where there's weather, like rain or snow or slippery conditions in an outdoor field, the person who has the better equipment manager who puts the right spikes on, usually their team does pretty good. Why? Because they can run and they can stop because they got the spikes. But have you ever tried to run on wet grass with flat shoes? By your laughter, I'm guessing some of you have tried this. 
But the other thing that I find interesting is the Roman shoes had a couple spikes sticking out the front. Why? You lift your shield, you kick the enemy. How many say that would probably hurt? <laughs> Maybe I need to get a pair of shoes, stick some spikes on the front and kick you in the shin, then you'll understand. But see, it's an offensive weapon is my point. Your peace is actually something that becomes a part of your offense when we're looking at attacking the enemy. Because when you're operating in peace, you're not panicking. You're not anxious and afraid. You're operating in God's presence and his power. Oh, this is a great opportunity to insert those jokes about that guy that followed his friend too close when the Roman soldiers were marching and he kept kicking him. <laughs> That's why they had, to have the sp they had to have the metal in the back of their cap. <laughs> anyway. In Genesis 3, 14 and 15, Satan is under our feet. Right from the beginning, Jesus purchased our dominion. Don't you remember the prophecy that he, say, uh, Jesus is going to crush Satan's head and he's going to bruise his heel? Right from the beginning, God established our authority. And then mankind in the garden had given away the authority that mankind had. So Jesus had to purchase it back when he went to the cross and he died for our sins. And then he restored to us our ability to operate with authority and power over the works of the enemy. In the Old Testament, people had no resistance to Satan, really, in the flesh. They didn't have the armor and the tools that we have. And, and if you read the accounts of the people there, oh my goodness, no wonder they, they had so many problems. I mean, look at, look at even David, who was a guy after God's own heart. He had some challenges in his life. You know what I'm talking about, right? But, but see, in the new covenant, Christ has put his spirit within us. He's put his righteousness within us. And now we can start operating in his peace, in his authority, in his power. The enemy's under our feet. Luke 10, 19, listen carefully. I've given you authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions. The ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy, Satan, and nothing will in any way harm you. The truth is, my real existence and my real citizenship is heaven. I'm a Canadian second, an American second. My citizenship is heaven. My spirit will live forever there. That's the hope that when you get there, God says, well done. You following this? This life is temporary. How can you hurt me in this life? It's just a temporary life. If I die, I go to a better place. If I stay, I get to bring more people with me. We have authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will in any way harm us. Why? Because what harm can you do if you're in Christ? The worst he can do is take your body out. You get a better resurrection. Ephesians 1, 19 to 23, Amplified. And so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his mighty strength, which he produced in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion, whether angelic or human, far above every name that has been named and every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and world, but also in the one to come. 
Catch, catch verse 22. And he put all things in every realm in subjection under Christ's feet and appointed him as the supreme and authoritative head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills and completes all things in all believers. Christ has all authority. As a Christ follower, he's entrusted you with his authority, and he wants you to exercise his authority here on planet Earth. He's given you divine armor so that you can go out and execute vengeance on his enemies. Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. John 14, 27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world can't give. You can't find the peace that Jesus gives out in the world. It's not there. Then he says, don't be troubled or afraid. He's given you peace in advance so you don't have to be anxious and afraid. You don't have to be troubled and afraid. Christians are not supposed to operate in fear. Christians are not supposed to operate in anxiety, ever. He gave us the shoes of peace. When you're operating in his peace, you're operating in his authority. When you're operating in fear and anxiety, you're no longer operating in his authority. You're giving authority back to Satan. The gospel is a message of hope and peace for all humans. There's movement in that. When you preach the gospel, you're extending the peace of Jesus beyond. The next one is the shield of faith from the Greek word thurios, not thanos, the young ones, thurios, Greek. A few of you are more awake than at first service. That went over a lot of people's heads. A shield, a door. There's another translation of that because that's what the Roman shield, the, the Roman thurius looked like, a big door, okay? It protected the whole soldier just like the shield of faith protects the entire Christian. Here's how this works. You, you get revelation from God or rhema word that activates faith and then you quench the assault of Satan against you. So revelation of God's word produces faith with counteracts and extinguishes Satan's attacks on your life. See how that works? It's the faith that activates something inside of you that fights against the attacks that the enemy comes with us. Now, Psalm 710, God is my shield, saving those whose hearts are true and right. He's our shield. He's our protector. Do you believe God is your shield? Do you believe he's for you, that he's got a good plan for you, that he wants good things for you? Then we need to align our thoughts with that truth. Now, there's a whole other lesson there about the battle going on in your mind that we'll do at another time in this series. But the truth from God's word is always going to produce faith in your life. Now, it's a daily thing, not a once a week thing or a once a month thing or a twice a year thing. Did you catch that? It's daily that we have to build our faith. Now, Rick Renner, who I talked about, the guru, he, 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 in his Sparkling Gems, he talks about how the shielders, sh shielders, the soldiers had to maintain their shields daily. Everyone say daily. I want you to catch this. Failure to maintain their shield would cause it to malfunction or not accomplish its purpose. So they had these leather hides that they would, usually six of them, and they had to oil them every day to keep it supple 
Is that the word? Okay, to keep it flexible so that when an arrow or a dart would hit it, it would reflect, it would deflect off. But if they didn't maintain their shield with the oil on a daily basis, it could get brittle and then it could shatter. Or worse, the darts and spears and javelins and could go through. Now, if you're standing behind a shield to protect you from projectiles and attacks from the enemy, how many know you want those things to bounce off it, not go through it, into you? But see, this is the challenge for Christians today. Because if you're not exercising your faith and maintaining your faith on a daily basis, your shield gets brittle and darts penetrate. And then you wonder why there's struggle. Let me try to give you an example of this. Let's see. Um, Jude 1, 3 and 4. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about the common salvation, I was compelled to write to you urgently, appealing that you fight strenuously. Not fight like I tried to punch earlier. Fight strenuously. Fight hard. Fight with labor and effort and energy for the defense of the faith, which was once and for all handed down to the saints. The faith that is the sum of the Christian belief that was given verbally at that time, and then now we have like written revelation, uh, for certain people have crept unnoticed just as they were sneaking in by the side door. They're ungodly persons whose condemnation was predicted long ago, for they distort the grace of God into decadence and immoral freedom, viewing it as an opportunity to do what they want and deny and disown our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So people use the scriptures so that they can accomplish the works of their flesh. Specifically, it lists sexual immorality here. So they try to twist the scriptures to make it sound like something that it doesn't say. Okay? Now, there's a constant fight of faith that hones your ability to resist the enemy. Resistance training versus strength training. I want to go here for a second. Okay? Now, now there's probably many concepts on this that I'm not privy to, but I just want to make it simple. When you're working out with weights, some people like to do strength training where they do these short bursts of energy with high weights so that they can expand their muscles and grow big muscles. Okay. Often, the problem with only strength training is they don't develop endurance. So they're good for short bursts of time. I know one guy, a friend of mine, he's like, I'm good for 30 meters, man. He's a big guy, but he's quick for 30 meters. After that, nah. You know, if you can outrun him for 30 meters, you're good. <laughs> but there's resistance training where often you use less weights, more reps that grow strength, but endurance. So your muscles might not get as big, they'll get strong, but they develop that endurance. And, and when we're talking about faith, I think what happens is, and I'm going to try to give you a picture here, and, and I'm not saying strength is right and resistance is wrong or resistance is right and strength. Do what you want if you want to take care of your temple. But, but what I'm saying is there's application for this in our lives because how many know that your faith, you need to build endurance in your life? Okay. I don't want you to be strong today and then weak on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then strong again on Sunday and then weak on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's not how we want to live. Okay. So we want to develop endurance where you're strong on Sunday, strong on Monday, strong on Tuesday, strong on Wednesday, strong on Thursday, strong on Friday, strong on Saturday. You catching this? 
So like Karen was talking earlier, we have an encounter coming up, and encounters are powerful. It's a great time for you to meet Jesus and encounter the presence of God. But it's more of a strength training because it's an experience. There's deliverance and freedom and revelation that happens, and you feel strong. But if you don't get into some sort of a process where you develop some endurance in your life, like one of the classes that we follow up with, or the mentor groups that we have, or start praying and reading your Bible on a daily basis to develop that endurance to maintain your shield, you'll be strong, but then within a short amount of time, you go back to being weak, and then you get frustrated because I was doing so good, what happened? You didn't put in the work. You didn't do the time. You didn't make the effort in the right direction to develop the endurance necessary so that your faith will endure the hard times. We need both, is my point. It's the daily process that will strengthen you. Now, 2 Corinthians 6, it lets us know that our faith is most fully reflected in our love walk. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth, God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand to attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they can slander us or praise us. We're honest, but they call us imposters. We're ignored, even though we're well known. We live close to death, but we're still alive. We've been beaten, we've not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We're poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Paul's just talking about the Christian journey. There's some things in this life. I mean, now, now, now Paul had it a little bit rough, and, and, and maybe I'll qualify this better this service over last, because I asked everyone last service, how many of you have been stoned? <laughs> now, my context is people picking up giant rocks and throwing them at you. <laughs> that has a totally different meaning and connotation in our world today, doesn't it? <laughs> But Paul was stoned and left for dead. He was beaten with a Roman whip, you know? He was shipwrecked, he was, he was persecuted. And, and what happens is, and, and my point in this is, Paul realized that it's not about what happened to him or all around him. He was secure in who he was. And he put on his armor every day and he went out and he kicked down the gates of hell. And it didn't matter what happened in this life because He's trusting for the next life, right? And that's what we got to get to. And then let's go to the helmet of salvation. Wow, I'm running out of time already. From the Greek, perkaphileia, fitting tightly around the head. Two words, peri and kephale, or around the head. Fits and then around the head. So it was this bronze helmet that fit very tightly around the head. Strong enough to hit in a, to take an assault or a hit from a battle axe. So a lot of the Roman enemies used battle, they could smack that thing in the head, but it was strong enough to withstand that, yet it was the most ornate part of the armor. It wasn't uncommon for a Roman soldier to have like um, engraving of uh, landscapes and different things on their helmet, and they would put these big feathers sticking out of the top. So it was also the most beautiful piece of the armor. And we stand firm on the truth that Jesus died for us to make a way to the Father, forgiveness of sins, eternal life. You know, those are benefits of salvation, but it's a beautiful thing. That's really one of the most beautiful parts of salvation is the helmet, knowing that we're in Christ, right? 
And we exchange the ugly parts of our life for his beauty and splendor. We trade hate for love, anxiety for peace, judgment for mercy. This is, this is the great exchange that takes place. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, But since we believers belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope and confident assurance of salvation. You've been given everything you need to fight the enemy and win. And the armor is both for offense and for defense, and we need to understand that. Now, today, I didn't even go to and talk about the sword of the Spirit because I'm going to do a whole lesson on the sword of the Spirit next week. So this is going to be like to be continued. But I want to read Romans 13, 12. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. God has entrusted you with divine armor. He's given you truth. He's given you righteousness. He's given you peace. He's given you faith. He's given you salvation. Okay? These are weapons that we have to attack the enemy. Don't just defend. We move forward, we attack, we take ground. It's a time like no other for Christians to be a little bit more aggressive. We need to tap into the lion of the tribe of Judah a little bit more than we do the lamb. Okay, we've been living in the lamb for a long time and now we don't even get invited to the table. Okay, so... You've been given the tools. You need to put them on daily. You need to exercise daily your spiritual senses. You need to exercise your faith. Read your Bible, pray, listen to what God is saying, obey his instructions and his commands daily. Not just once a week when you come to church or twice a month when you come to church or twice a year when you come to church. Well, at least that's none of you. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's given us the tools so that we can fight. And again, you're in a battle. You can sit on the sidelines or you can fight. What kind of reward do you want when you get to heaven? He'll reward you for the things he's assigned you to do that you were obedient to complete. You don't get rewarded for the things you do in the flesh because we don't fight this war in the flesh. We get rewarded for our obedience in the spirit by faith. Stand with me. Fathers, we come to the table today with the bread. I thank you for the men and women here. Soldiers, warriors. Prepared, Lord, by your spirit and by your grace. For some, Lord, as they put on this armor, it's really heavy, and they're having a hard time moving. But I thank you that as we go through boot camp with the spiritual things, that you're giving us the strength and the power that we need to overcome anything that the enemy throws in our path. The church of Jesus is an unstoppable force in the world that we live in. Though Satan may try to oppress and discourage and to cancel church, 
you overcame, so therefore we overcome. Today, Lord, we look to you. I thank you that as we have the bread in our hand, we can receive healing for our minds and our bodies, that you restore us to wholeness and you rebuke the curse off of our life. Lord, as we obey you and as we listen to you and follow your commands and teachings, I thank you that you lift poverty and lack off of our lives. Poverty of spirit, that we can know you in the power of your resurrection in Jesus' name. So we have the cup in our hand. We look to our own hearts, Lord, and say, search us and try us. If there's anything impure or unclean, we confess it to you now. Lord, we lay down unforgiveness. We release others. We receive forgiveness. And I thank you that as we come to the table to receive the blood of Christ today, that your power is manifest in us. And Lord, we can align our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes with the truth from your word so that we could be obedient soldiers sent out on a mission from the Most High God. Help us with our love walk. Help us to know truth as we desire to live a righteous life. So be glorified in your church today in Jesus' name.